Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Made Simple podcast, the show empowering and educating people on how they can grow, manage, and protect their wealth through real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Bailey Kramer. What's going on, everyone? And welcome back to another episode of the Real Estate Investing Made Simple podcast. Today, we have an awesome guest joining us, and her name is Rachel Richards. Rachel Richards. Rachel quit her job in 2019 and retired living off of $15,000 per month in passive income. Rachel is the best-selling author of Money Honey and Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement. She built a real, real estate portfolio of 38 rental units by the age of 26. Welcome to the show, Rachel. Thank you, Bailey. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, likewise. And I know that was just a snapshot of some of the things that you've accomplished, but um, super impressive super interesting of how you know you've been able to accomplish so much in a very short period of time so before we get to you know where you're at today i always like to turn it back take it back to kind of where you were before you got into the mindset and the actual results that you've achieved today so if you would take us back in time um when you were you know i guess whenever you think is most appropriate for the for your story yeah for sure i guess i would take us back to i don't know middle school high school uh, because at the time I grew up in this really wealthy bubble and it was a really unrealistic bubble to grow up in. So to give you some context, a lot of the kids in my high school got brand new BMWs when they turned 16 and <laughs> my family was not operating that way. I mean, we weren't going on vacations, let alone even going out to eat at restaurants. So I remember feeling like I didn't fit in and that is not the way you want to feel at a young age in middle school and high school, right? So right. <laughs> I remember thinking, you know, we were poor, we didn't have money, even though that wasn't the case. We were a middle-class family, but just relatively, I didn't know better and that's how I felt. And I remember thinking, I didn't wanna end up like everyone else struggling with money. I didn't wanna operate on a strict budget. I didn't wanna have to borrow money from family and friends to make it to my next paycheck. I wanted to be different. I remember feeling that what I did then would either set me up for wealth or for poverty. And that's kind of what initially lit the fire to interest me in reading all these books about personal finance. I mean, I was very much a personal finance nerd, like in sixth grade and to this day, <laughs> proud of it. <laughs> and I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I feel like everyone's read that book yep, if they're yep. a finance nerd or real estate investor. Yep. Um, I read it in high school. And I decided right then and there that real estate investing was my path to financial independence. I wanted to become financially independent. Um, I was approaching, you know, I was going to graduate from high school. I was going to go to college. My parents couldn't afford to help me pay for college at all. And I had this huge fear. I didn't want to graduate with student loan debt because I was self-educated enough to be aware of what that could do to you and how crippling that could be. So I was really scared of that. So what I did is I sold Cutco knives. Have you heard of Cutco cutlery? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. We have, we, we well, have knives set at my house, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're great. They're really good knives. So <laughs> I, I paid my way through school selling Cutco, graduated without debt. And um, I started off as a financial advisor. And, and what people ask me a lot about my story, because my story is that, you know, I scaled from zero to 38 rental units, 38 doors in under two years. I retired off of 15K a month in passive income at the age of 27. So people hear that and they're like, are you a trust fund baby? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm not. And the other thing is I never made six figures from a job or a career. 
I started off making $36,000 after graduating. My next job, I was making 32,000. My next job, I was making 42,000. So it's not like I was rolling in it, right? I mean, (laughs) I just found a way to be really frugal and to be, to save a ton of money at an early age and kind of just try to do the right things. I mean, I definitely struggled a lot and made a lot of mistakes, but that's kind of how I got started. And then you know, the next chapter is basically when I self-published and I started investing in real estate. Gotcha. Okay. A lot to unfold there, but super cool story. Um, I just want to take it back. You mentioned Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I think that's a book that it's, I, I talk about in almost every episode. So if, if you know, if the listeners haven't, haven't read it yet, this is like their last call right now. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm curious, who, who showed you that book? Was it something that you just kind of stumbled upon? Because I just found that book two years ago. And I'm like, oh man, why didn't, why didn't anyone show me this earlier? So I'm curious how you landed upon it at, you know, in high school. I don't remember, but my mom would take us to Barnes and Noble all the time. And cause I don't even think Amazon was like a big enough thing back then where I was <laughs> finding books. I'm like aging myself. Um, I'm 29 for the record, <laughs> but yeah, we would go to Barnes and Noble and I feel like everyone else my age would be, you know, looking in the fiction section and then I would be in the nonfiction section and I, f- I found Millionaire Next Door, another classic. Um, I don't remember how I found Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but there are definitely a few that stand out in my mind as changing my trajectory. And that was one of them. I mean, it was right. truly an eye-opener for me. Right. Super cool. And then so college came around, you ended up, you know, deciding you're going to go and you got in Cutco Knives, you, you know, you, you mentioned it briefly, but so door-to-door sales, is that what you're doing? Kind of, you I mean, you, you start and you sell to your family and friends, like every direct sales company, and right, then you right. ask for referrals. So it wasn't truly cold door to door. Okay. Okay. You were getting connected to, you were asking for referrals and getting connected, but yeah, I mean, my mom was not excited that I was selling sharp object objects to strangers, <laughs> essentially, but that's what I did. Sold, sold knives. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. So you sold knives, you got your way through college, boom, you're graduated debt-free. Um, what were your next couple moves? Because you mentioned real estate was thrown in there. Um, you also mentioned you got a W-2 job. What, what was that first job you did? I first became a financial advisor. And here's my thought. I had this passion for personal finance. I majored in financial economics. Right. I loved learning and teaching people about money. So I was like, that's perfect. And then I had the background in sales. So I was like, that's what I should be. Um, the thing is, even though I was good in sales, I didn't love it and it didn't come naturally to me. I could force myself, but I'm an introvert, so I could force myself to do it, but it was very draining for me. So um, I did that for nine months and then I quit and then I didn't know what else to do. Um, so I ended up partnering with a real estate flipper and that was cool. I learned a lot from him. I Then I was an assistant to a realtor, which at the time I remember thinking, I am so overqualified for this job. Like, what if I, you know, like I graduated summa cum laude, you know, I was 3.99 GPA. Wow. One of the top of my classrooms center college, I should be in a corporate finance and I'm assistant to a realtor and a realtor that emotionally and mentally abused me every single day. Wow. Um, and was one of the reasons too, that I was like, I have to make this real estate investing happen. But also I did learn a lot from her and I learned about how to close transactions and a lot of valuable skills that would later enable me to be a more, a stronger real estate investor. Right. So it's interesting because sometimes you're in this job feeling really crappy and underpaid and underappreciated and it's toxic and it was definitely awful, but sometimes it's not until you have the hindsight that you kind of go back and connect the dots and you're like, okay, 
there was some value to be had. And there right. was a reason that I, I, you know, I did get something from that. And it's a good thing that I did work there for the little time that I worked there. So it's, it sure. wasn't all a waste, I guess. Is right, right. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like that's a lot of, you know, even, even the worst, um, even things that don't turn out, you know, like a success per se, mm-hmm. there's always things that, you know, that you could take from it. And sometimes it's like, I'm glad I did that because I never want to be like that person. Or I'm glad I did that because now I know what I do want to do. So it's cool that you kind of found right. some, some positive out of that. Yeah, exactly. And so just taking that a little bit farther back, real estate, um, you mentioned you were a financial advisor, uh, but what actually get, gave you the real estate bug? How do you get into the, and the investing side as well? Like what kind of opened up your eyes? Because, you know, personal finance, that's where everyone starts or, you know, you can start there and then real estate investing is a whole nother beast. I guess what, what, what took you there? I mean, besides rich dad, poor dad, it was also just like, I didn't know another way out of the rat race because it wasn't until later, until after I published my first book and I started getting obsessed with this idea of passive income that I learned that there's all these other ways to generate passive income. So I started off only knowing about real estate investing and that was kind of my singular way out. And after having enough of this workplace abuse and enough of these situations of being micromanaged and just, I think everyone has their enough is enough moment. And right. for me, it was working as an assistant to that realtor woman. Right. And she made her employees cry regularly. It wasn't just me. Okay. I'm like to think of myself as a strong, confident, assertive woman, but I'm working for this woman and I'm 23. And, you know, I don't have the wisdom and the confidence that I have now. Right. And she came into the office one day and she's like, find me the letterhead. And I'm like, okay. And I've never, we've never used letterhead before. So it's not like this is an obvious thing. So I'm just looking on the computer to find a letterhead file that I can print for her. She's standing behind me, tapping, literally tapping her foot, waiting for me right behind me. And I'm already flustered because she scares me. Um, (laughs) So I'm like searching and it's only been 10 seconds that this lady's given me. And then she just makes this sigh of disgust and turns and goes to this corner, this dusty shelf on the back office, pulls out this letterhead and holds it in front of me, like three inches from my face. And then she, she just looks at me and she says, what do I even pay you for? And it's just this condescending tone. And I'm, you know, it's just so embarrassing for someone right. to talk to you like that, like one-on-one to your face. And it's just another one of those moments where after the day that I had, I just, you just feel so shamed. And I, I went to the bathroom and I cried and it was like the second time she'd ever made me cry. And I remember looking at myself in the mirror and it was this moment where I was like, okay, enough is enough. Like I'm sick of complaining about this woman. I'm sick of complaining about this job. And all I do is I talk about it and I can, I talk about real estate investing and wanting to quit my job. And I'm sick of hearing myself complaining. And if I don't do something about it now, I never will. And I've read all the books. I've talked to all the people I've joined all the meetups about real estate investing. Like it's time to pull the trigger. I mean, it's, I, I can do it. You know, I, I have to find a way. And so that was kind of that moment where it was like, it's time to take action. Right. And I started, you know, taking it seriously, getting on the MLS, actively going out and looking for deals and making offers. And then basically nine months after that, I closed on my first property. Wow. Okay. Very cool. And just to kind of touch on what you were saying before with kind of the work experience, you know, everyone has their own unique you know, story where they're struggling, whether it's like actually with somebody else, maybe sometimes with just yourself, but at the end of the day, it's kind of like that breaking point that makes you say, okay, this is seriously it. I, you know, 
I, just, I guess, your breaking point of whatever situation you're in. I think a lot of people can relate with that, whether it's a job, whether it's um, maybe following a path that your parents just want you to follow or, you know, whatever it is, just getting to a point where like, all right, I'm seriously, this is, this is the end of the road for, you know, for this path, I'm ready to pivot. So um, that's just something that I think a lot of, a lot of listeners can relate with. So, yeah, I mean, in some ways, just to add to that, in some ways, it's like a low point because yeah. for a lot of people, it's like when you feel your worst, but right. then once you've mentally made that decision, though, it can also feel like relief because right. you know, like you're about to make some massive moves and like right. you're finally going to take action on what you've always wanted to do. So it can also be very exciting. Right. Because I mean, I, I, <laughs> another thing on that too, like when you're, when you're comfortable, when you're like, okay, and you're content with something, you're not happy about it, but you're not sad. It's like, why, why change it? I mean, you know, that's what it feels like. It's like, I'm, yeah. I'm fine here. But when it's like really bad, um, you know, get that, gets that level of like, all right, this is terrible. Mm-hmm. That's when it's like a big springboard and you can, and you can make massive action. And that sounds like exactly like what you did. Yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about that first real estate deal. You mentioned it took nine months to um, get that first deal after, you know, after looking for it on the MLS. Kind of walk us through um, that first deal, how you found it, how you funded it, um, you know, everything about that first one. Well, it's definitely an emotional roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, when you're finding your first deal, the, here's what I'll say is you have to be very, very patient and you can't settle. And you can't just look on the MLS because especially in this market right now, I mean, this is one of the hottest markets. If you're only looking on the MLS, that's what everyone else is doing. You're not going to find a good deal. It's too competitive. It's too saturated. You have to get off your butt and off the couch. You have to go out and actively look for off-market deals or you're not going to find anything. Right. So that's that's piece of advice, number one. And then number two, again, it goes back to don't settle and, and be patient because it was nine months of us searching for this deal. That was after we made multiple offers on properties. That was after we actually had an accepted contract on a property that fell through. There were so many times we were like, we should just give up. I mean, clearly this isn't working. We've done all the right things. We've made offers. We had an accepted contract. We could have just said, well, let's throw in the towel. You know, this clearly isn't working. It's not going to work for us. But we just kept looking. And because we'd had so much practice by then crunching the numbers and making offers, the moment we saw this duplex come up, we could act on it so quickly because we recognized this is an amazing deal. So we made the offer, we acted quickly and we got that duplex. So this duplex we found was a $100,000 duplex. This was in 2017 in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, So one of the great things about us investing in Louisville, Kentucky is that it's a low cost of living area. There are still $100,000 properties to be found in the US. I get a lot of pushback from that, but I promise you, there are tons of them. Right. And, um, and this, is, this is a duplex. So it's technically a $50,000 unit. Per unit. Yes, exactly. There's plenty of them to be had. So we found this duplex. Um, how do we come up with the money? We had a few things going for us. First of all, we both graduated without student loan debt. So I sold Cutco. My husband's a veteran. He used his military benefits to pay for school. That was obviously a big advantage for us. Um, secondly, Louisville, Kentucky already said it. It's a cheap place to live. And then third, we were both frugal. So even though I wasn't making a lot of money, our combined income was over six figures. And we were trying to save half of our income. 
Um, when, when I was single, before I met my husband, Andrew, I was saving half of my $36,000 income. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I was living <laughs> off something like $1,500 a month. Um, was so strict and disciplined back then. <laughs> wow. But yeah. I mean, I, I found a way to make it happen. So it only took a few years for me to individually save $10,000. So we had to come up with a $20,000 down payment. So by then we each saved 10 grand and we pooled that together to get to this down payment. Now, if I didn't have my husband to partner with, I would have house hacked. I would have lived in one of these units. I wouldn't have had to even come up with my own 10 grand. Um, I would have had to come up with less than that. And I would have done the same thing. So there, again, there are so many ways you can do this. Money does not have to be an excuse. Um, so that's what we did. Came up with a $20,000 down payment. We purchased this duplex. And that is how we bought our first investment property in 2017. Got it. Okay. And you mentioned Louisville, Kentucky. And I know you're in Colorado now. So was this a property? Were you in Louisville? Do you live there? Did you yes, fly it across we, the country? Yeah, we lived there. And I lived there for 20 years. I consider that my hometown. So we were there at the time. Uh, we don't live there now. So now we're long distance landlords, which I actually think is much easier. Got it. Yeah. I, I, I'm with you too. I, I, I do. I'm in Orlando now. All my properties that I own and manage are out of state. And people are like, are you crazy? I'm like, I think it's honestly easier. Um, yeah. The, the, the funniest thing, like the, an example I give to somebody that really helps them click, I think, is I say, and this actually happened, like the AC has gone out. The, wi the windows have broken. And I said, it doesn't matter if I'm the next door neighbor, I don't know how to fix the AC, nor do I want to. I don't know how to fix a window, nor do I want to. So it's really just figuring out, okay, how do you actually get somebody there mm -hmm. to fix the problem? And it's usually just a phone call away. So that's just like one thing that's, it, it's funny. I think it's a big misconception that like, you know, managing from far away is tough. Obviously the first time you do anything is just weird, uncomfortable and hard. But once you kind of do it, you're like, it's not crazy. It's not terrible. <laughs> totally. And being out of state, it just forces you to have the right people and systems in place. And it That's just makes, it makes the whole process a lot more efficient. And I, I just think it makes you a, a much better investor. Yeah, no, totally agree. Totally agree. So just to kind of jump to a point and then we'll kind of bring it back. 2019 is when you retired and you lived off of $15,000 in passive income. So clearly at this time you had some rental property, but what, so I guess what, what made up that $15,000? What were kind of your income streams at that point? Okay, so by 2019, we had three, wait, did we? No, we had two main income streams by 2019. So okay. we mainly it was our rental properties. Um, by then we had scaled from zero to 38 doors. Wow. And so $10,000 of that, and when I say 15,000 a month, I mean profit. So 10,000 of that was from the rental properties. And then by that point, I also had two self-published books and I still do, and they're best-selling books on Amazon. And that I was making 5,000 a month from those consistently. And it's a little bit more now, but yeah, those were our two big income streams by that point. And that's what allowed us to basically call ourselves financially independent. And that's when I quit my full-time job. Gotcha. Okay. So we got two, two huge things to touch on here. We got the books and we got the real estate. Uh, let's start with the real estate since this is more of a real estate podcast, but we do touch on you know a lot of things. Um, on the real estate side, how did you grow so quickly? How do you grow so many doors quickly? All right. So we scaled very quickly, much more quickly than I ever thought was possible. <laughs> 
And really there were two keys that enabled us to do that. Number one is that we did not give into lifestyle creep. So that first duplex we bought was immediately cash flowing $500 per month. Now it cash flows $800 per month because we've increased rent and we renovate it. So we could increase rent even more. Um, so the $500 a month for us was amazing. That's $500 cash per month that we didn't have before. We could easily have said, wow, we've worked so hard for this. Let's live it up. This is, you know, we can spend $500 more per month. Now we could get a bigger place. We could get a new car payment, whatever, but we didn't, we were like, no, this $500 per month, we're not touching a penny of it. 100% of this is going to now be going into a savings account. And this is going to go towards the next down payment on the next property. So that's one thing. And then kind of same thing, anytime each of us got a raise. So in those years between like 2016 and 2019, both of us got significant promotions and raises. I finally moved from those lower paying jobs to a corporate finance job. So I was okay. making like 75 grand. And then my last job before I quit, I was making 89 grand. So I had a huge jump in salary and then I was right. able to save a much larger portion of my salary. So again, then we were able to save like 50% or more of our salary. Um, so we weren't spending more. We were just saving all of that extra income. Right. And then the second thing is that I had my real estate license. And this is really the key for us because I would represent myself as the buyer's agent on all of our deals. I never had my own clients or anything. I only had my real estate license for my own purposes as an investor. Okay. So we would deplete our savings every time we bought a property. We would deplete our savings. I mean, we were, it was risky, but we were, <laughs> we were able to take that risk on. We were okay with that. I, but here's the thing. I would know that I would immediately get a commission check back for thousands of dollars, like sometimes 10 right. grand. Right. And then we would save that commission check for the down payment on our, on our next property. So the properties we bought varied from like a hundred grand to $430,000 at most. These are big down payments, obviously that we're talking right. about. Um, but we don't, we didn't own 38 buildings. It was 38 doors. It was right. like six buildings total. So between all of this cash flow we're making on each property, our combined salary, that's well over six figures, the commission checks, like the money was rolling in right. and the momentum just kept building. So it just happened a lot more quickly than we thought we could save up the down payments and just scaled really, really fast. So that's how we right. made it happen. Okay, cool. And so did you guys ever, two questions. But first let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. Are you looking to buy your first investment property, but not sure where to start? The next generation real estate summit was made for you. The Next Generation Real Estate Summit is a two-day virtual conference where you'll be learning from and interacting with real estate investing pros, along with a thousand other like-minded attendees from around the world. By the end of the two-day summit, you'll have all the tools, resources, knowledge, and network to buy your first investment property. So what are you waiting for? Click the link in the show notes to get $100 off your ticket. That's right. Click the link in the show notes to get $100 off your ticket to the Next Generation Real Estate Summit. And now back to the show. Number one, do you guys ever raise outside capital or was it all just you two? It was just the two of us. Okay, got it. And then as yeah. far as like loans go, what kind of um, mortgages did you guys get for all these uh, units? We had two VA loans because two of the properties were single family houses that we personally lived in. 
that my husband, like one of them he bought before we even met, that was just his primary residence. And then when we moved to Colorado, we kept both of them as um, rental houses. Then let's see two, I want to say two of them were conventional loans, just 30 year fixed. And then two of them were 25 year commercial loans because they were like over, you know, over the four units. Got it. So they're like five, six, you know, small multifamily. Um, we actually had three buildings that were 10 or 12 units each, okay. but because one, one of them, somehow we got, we managed to get a conventional loan on it. I forget how we even got made it. that happen, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Got it. And then before we move on to the books and that kind of side of the income stream, where are you guys at on the real estate stuff? The real estate business now is something that you're still active, acquiring more properties, chilling with the ones you have, or, you know, what, what kind of the current status Yeah, I'm glad you asked because a lot has changed this year. So first of all, the real estate stuff for us was never something we wanted to build this massive empire with. Like for us, it was a means to an end. We were never so passionate about it that we wanted to have 250 units and then 500 units. Once we got to $10,000 a month in passive income from it, we were like, done, goal achieved. Like that was our initial goal. We were financially independent. There was no reason to keep going with it because- we weren't so passionate. We were passionate about what it could afford us to do. Otherwise we could quit our jobs. We could travel, we could hike and climb mountains and do all of those other things. Um, and we didn't want to become full-time landlords or have this huge thing. Right. So we stopped in 2018. And then the change that happened this year is that even, you know, with property managers in place, there's still an aspect of manage the manager. And I've always said that I've always said, Owning rental property is not 100% passive, right? You still have to manage the manager and no one wants to quit their job to become a full-time landlord. That's why you have to have a property manager in the first place. So with us, I view real estate investing as like a time versus money continuum. When you start out, you likely have a lot more time than money. So you're trying to figure out how can I get into real estate investing? You're willing to hustle. You're willing to self-manage, work hard, and then you, you generate more money and you have some time and you have some money. And then later on, you have a ton of money and you start valuing your time a lot more. Right. So we got to this point where we were making a lot of money and we were just like, we really value our time now. We don't want to work as hard, which is a very privileged place to be like very lucky, very fortunate. Right. So we were like, okay, I think it's time that we scale back actually on our portfolio, get out of direct real estate and get into real estate syndications. Because real estate syndications are a way to continue to be invested in real estate, but be very, very passive. It's like you're a silent partner. Like you're just fronting the money and then you don't have to do anything and you get a a share of the profits. So we have sold our three biggest buildings this year. We went from 38 units to four units. And now we're transitioning all of that money into syndications. So Yeah. So that's the moves we made. We're not getting out of real estate investing just into a different form of it. That can be more passive and more in alignment with our goals. Right. That That's a, that's a phenomenal pivot. I mean, I think that there's so many different ways you can get involved in real estate and syndication is one that I think is overlooked by a lot of people. And, and it's cool that you, that you, you value your lifestyle so much that you found a vehicle that worked better and, and it was more convenient for you than by you just managing, you know, your, your properties in, in Louisville and then wherever the Rustin were, you know, that's, that's awesome strategy there. Thank you. Yeah. And I think the takeaway is just, you know, be intentional is 
is your goal time or money? And as you progress through your journey, that might change. And so it's always checking in, you know, is, am I living in alignment with my values? What's the most important thing to me right now? And, you know, where do I want to be in the next year or two or five years with this? And if you're intentional along the way, like the way you approach it is going to change. Right. And let me just ask you one more question on the real estate side. Yeah. Your investments into the, into syndications, is that for the cash flow? Is it for the appreciation? Is it for a mixture of things? You know, I guess, I guess, cause I know there's different some people have a 6% press, some people have, you know, so what, what was your purpose or what are you looking to actually get out of those investments? Our goal is still the cash flow because we still yeah. want the passive income. Ultimately, we want to replace the passive income from directly owning the rentals and just generate the same amount from the syndications. Um, right. So yeah, that's really the goal. I mean, the appreciation is always to me a bonus, whether yeah. it's directly owning rentals or, or through the syndication. So the, the more cash flow I can get, the better. Okay. Yep. I, I, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's kind of the real estate side. I'm sure there's a ton more we can cover, but moving on to the, uh, the book side, you've written two books. Um, was this simultaneous to the real estate stuff or was that a different time period? Yes. 2017 was hectic. <laughs> yes, it sounds, it sounds like <laughs> the last like, five, six years have been just, just on for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm a little hot tired, <laughs> but, um, yeah, 2017, is the year we purchased our first rental property. So we're both working full-time and we're managing and acquiring real estate on the weekends. And I'm writing my first book in the evenings. So we were working like 80 hour weeks. It was one of the hardest two or three year periods. I mean, the hardest of my life. Um, So yeah, I started writing Money Honey that year. And basically, you know, I was a former financial advisor And this book idea came to me because all my family and friends came to me for financial advice, which I loved. That is what I love to do. Right. And I began at the same time, I began wondering, well, why aren't they reading books on their own? Like I did or learning and listening to podcasts. And then I realized, oh yeah, personal finance is boring. (laughs) Everyone is a nerd. Like I am. Uh, It's overwhelming. It's intimidating. It's complex. No wonder people don't like to learn about it. So I thought to myself, how can I make this topic sassy and fun and simple? And that's where the idea for Money Honey came from. So for me, it was just a passion project starting out. It was just something I felt compelled to do. I was excited to do. Started writing this book. I self-published it. I didn't know what I was doing. No one knew who I was. I had no platform. I had no money. I mean, I had I had a budget that I, I allowed myself to spend of like $600 which made me want to throw up at the time. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to make this money back. And I self-published it in September, 2017, made that money back in the first month to my shock and awe. And it just did astonishingly well. Something about it, it resonated with female millennials. Um, To this day, like so many people tell me that it's like they're sitting down with their best friend, having a cup of coffee and just talking about money in a really relaxed, funny way. Yeah. And it just sold really well. Um, it has over 1200 Amazon reviews. I mean, I just still can't believe it. And now I've built this whole business around it. I have courses, I have group coaching, I have a mastermind and it's what I spend my time doing now in, in financial independence. Cause I'm not, not working. I'll never stop right. working. Right. Love what I do. And yeah, now I've built this whole business around it. It's a lot of fun. Sweet. Well, we'll definitely leave links to the books and you know all all you. what you have got going on in the in the uh, in the show notes below. And I have to check out the book as well. Um, 
but just take it back, what you, you kind of touched on a few different things, but like, what is this book, Money, um, Money Honey? What, like, so, what, yeah. Yeah. So, Money Honey makes this really hard topic just something that's simple. So, it talks about the money management basics budgeting, savings, debt payoff, investing, and insurance. So, it's really for beginners. It's really something that I essentially wrote for my best friend. Cause she would say something to me like, oh my gosh, you know, my boyfriend tries to explain mutual funds to me and my <laughs> eyes glaze over <laughs> and I'd be like, okay, girl, I got you, you know, let me make this, like I, I can make this fun for you. So that's what I did. And it's just worked really well. So that's what it is. Just so beginners, cool. you know, easy personal finance topics. Right. When you said that, I just thought I need to send the, I need to send the copy to my girlfriend. That's it. Her birthday <laughs> is in, love it. in two weeks, in two weeks. That's going to, that's going to be, that's going to be part of the gift. Amazing. Oh my God. That's so <laughs> funny. That's so <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So very cool. Catered towards is it catered towards females, you'd say? Yes. Yes. Yeah. For sure. Very cool. And then talk about kind of the business inside the business that you've created, the the courses, the the coaching. What what's kind of the purpose and benefit to to those things? Yeah. I mean, when I first started the book, I had no sense of the business that it would become. So I didn't have a website. I didn't like, I, I had the foresight to build an email list and collect emails, but then I wasn't emailing them. So for the first two or three years that I had the book out, people would sign up for an email list and not get a single email from me. It's so embarrassing. Like the amount of things I did wrong is hilarious, Yeah. <laughs> but it just goes to show you like, just get started. I mean, nothing's ever going to go perfectly. Just put something out, put good content out there and the rest will fall into place. Like if you just have a good message to share and you can help people, the rest will fall into place. Like, don't worry about it. Um, so yeah, I'd like put a website up a year later. I did everything backwards. I did everything <laughs> wrong. <laughs> but um, the next thing I did was I, I launched my second book in 2019. And that one was Passive Income Aggressive Retirement. And the reason I wrote that is because, you know, in the months leading up to quitting my job, I started telling people I'm retiring this year and I'm 27 and you know, I'm going to be retiring on 15 grand a month in passive income. And people were like, what are you talking about? You're 27. What do you, what do you mean? And so I was like, oh, well, there's a lot of interest in, th in this and what I'm doing. And I was obsessed with passive income and all the ways that you could create it, which is a lot more than real estate investing, it turns out. So right. that book talks about 28 different ways to create passive income and basically how to get started and how you can achieve early retirement and financial independence, even if you don't have a lot of money, because I didn't have a lot of money starting out either. Right. So that's was the next thing. And then the next thing after that was in 2020, because I kind of had this other epiphany where I realized that a lot of people read books or look up a new workout routine or a new diet. And I'm guilty of this. Right. And then like, they don't do anything with that information. Right. Like how many times have I done that more than I can count? It's right. <laughs> um, because what's missing is the accountability, right? Like who's going to hold them accountable to actually following through with what they're learning. That's the hardest thing. There's the quote, you know, knowledge is power. That's not true. Like knowledge isn't power right. unless you do something with it, unless you take action on it. Right. So it's, I just realized like people need more hands-on help than just reading a book. Right. And I realized I could help them with that. I could give them the support and structure and accountability they need by creating a new program. So that was the first time that I thought I could do an online course and, and give them that basically. So right. 2020 
right in the middle of COVID when COVID was at its worst, like imaginably could be the worst timing to launch an online course. <laughs> I launched my first online course, get your financial shit together, which I like to do things like fun and sassy, as you can tell. Um, <laughs> but it was just designed to like, kind of go along with money, honey, and just help people who are living paycheck to paycheck or who just really want to make moves financially and just get ahead. And that was the first online course that I did. And then I have a lot of other programs now, but that kind of gives you an idea of how things started yeah. with it. Yeah, I got it. I love it. And something I just want to touch on you mentioned earlier and a couple of things. So you mentioned like when you wrote Money Honey, you, you know, you're like, you know, $600 budget. Like I'm about to lose my mind. You didn't have, um, you know, you weren't in the, I guess you weren't in the situation you're in now. Yeah. And then two with uh, kind of just, going for it I mean when I was just something for the listeners too like when I was getting started networking with with investors and you mentioned like putting out content and just sharing messages it doesn't have to be like perfectly crafted right away and it's always it's hard for me still today to like not get something perfect out you know at least what I think is like not my very top notch best but when I was first you know networking with real estate investors my 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 one task that I was doing was I was reaching out to people who were like a bunch of steps ahead of me and I wanted to reach out to hop on a networking call. I look back at those messages now and it was all in bigger pockets. And literally, I'm, it's like very cringy what, what I was saying. I was like, oh, you know, can I, can you, can you be my mentor? I want to <laughs> intern. It was just like, I was jumping straight to it. And it was like, I would not advise someone to, to word the message the way I was wording it. But like, and it, it didn't, I guess, it didn't like convert at the highest rate possible, but it, it, it opened up, like I, I got a couple of responses. And then from those couple yeah. responses, I grew and I grew and grew. And it sounds kind of similar to with your book. Like you weren't in the, you know, you, you, weren't, where, you weren't where you are now, but yeah. the ability to just kind of go for it, um, obviously having, you know, the knowledge as well. But the, you know, the most important thing is like not waiting until, you know, you have everything figured out because, you know, you're always growing and you, I guess you never really think that you have it all perfectly down. Oh, 100%. And I'm a perfectionist. So I am a type A perfectionist and I held myself back in so many ways, real estate investing and my book and, and all these different ways, because I thought everything had to be perfect before I got started. And what a limiting belief, like, let's throw that out the window, because if that's the case, I would never have done anything in my life. (laughs) And I think once you just accept the fact that you're going to make mistakes, that's what helps you kind of get over that initial obstacle, or it just helps you get through whatever's holding you back. It's like, okay, right. Like done is better than perfect. Just get out there. Practice makes perfect. Yeah, you're going to make mistakes and you're going to embarrass yourself and you're going to look back at those emails you sent four years ago and be like, oh my gosh, how cringy. Right. But if you didn't send those four years ago, you wouldn't be where you are now. So right. yeah, I love that you said that. Right. And, and then even, even another thing too, like just kind of do, putting something in motion. Like I, I, you know, at the time I was obsessed with multifamily real estate. That was where I thought my path was going to lead me. And so I started the multifamily, a multifamily meetup group. Like I was taking all these steps and I'm not doing multifamily now, but even though I, even though I'm not doing what I thought I was going to be doing, just taking those steps will get you somewhere. It'll get you farther than doing nothing. So yes. even, you know, taking steps in some direction is guaranteed to be better than, than, than no steps at all. Yes, totally agree. 
So last thing I want to mention, um, last question I have before we move on to the big four is you meant, you know, passive income. I want to talk about your passive income streams now. So you mentioned real estate, you have the books, um, courses. What are your other big passive income streams or even small passive income streams that, um, that you can share? Yeah, I have a lot. Um, let's see, I'm going to try to name them and I'll, I'll tell how much I'm making. So, okay. So rental properties now, cause now we're down to four units. And when I, again, when I say passive income, I mean, passive profit, like this is after expenses. Right. So it's probably like 2000 a month now, real estate syndications. It's really hard to tell cause we're so early on. So the money right. that I've invested, we're not yet receiving all the distributions yet. Right. So, so it's going to be monthly or quarterly or yearly. Um, they're normally quarterly. That's why this is like a total ballpark. And I don't even have all the money reinvested yet. Um, so currently maybe like one or 2000 a month, but I'm hoping to get that to like five or 10,000 a month for right. real estate syndications. Then we have Fundrise, probably making 200 a month from Fundrise. I love Fundrise. <clears throat> and then we have my books, which are doing like 8,000 a month. Um, online courses are probably doing 5,000 a month. And then see, not every, not all my income streams are passive. So I'm trying to just focus on the passive ones. I have like affiliate income, which is probably a couple hundred a month. And I feel like I'm forgetting something obvious. Those are probably the main ones. So that is that's probably adding up to 15 grand a month. Got right it. There. Okay. It's probably more than that, but yeah. And then, so just, uh, two, two income streams that you mentioned that I'm just curious about Fundrise. I've, I've seen a lot of people talk about it. I've done minimal research on it. I guess you, you mentioned you liked it. Do you want to just share quickly like what it is and I guess why you like it? Uh, yeah. To it? Fundrise is a crowdsourced real estate investing platform um, very passive. So you can invest, I think like as little as $500 with them. And then there's different plans. So you can invest for appreciation or income. I'm on the income plan because we're all about that passive income. And um, I think the last time I looked, I've earned about eight or 9% over the last, I've been invested for, I think three years now. So like, it's not bad. Early I adopter. Mean, yeah. yeah. I, yeah, I think it's pretty good. Um, just, you know, you have to read the fine print. You have to keep your money invested for five years. At least if you try to withdraw sooner than that, you will be, you'll be charged a penalty. So just make sure you kind of know what you're getting into, but so far I've been happy with it. And it's a great way to get diversified into real estate without having a ton of money. Got it. And then the second thing you mentioned, um, it was your books and courses, just a kind of a, as a business question on the back end, and, and also for the listeners, like, you know, how, how do I get a book to make $8,000 a month? Do you, is that, do you have like a big ad, um, paid ad campaign of some sort that you do? Or is it mostly organic? Or I guess, how, how do you drive traffic? Um, no, I don't spend any money on ads, actually. Really? So really? yeah, wow. I like love getting asked that question. That's crazy. I get to brag. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, I know. I've been told that my self-published books are like unicorns and they are. Most self-published authors don't make that much money. Um, the, the strategy for most self-published authors is that they use their books more as lead generators for their right. other higher price products, like their courses or their coaching or their masterminds. Right. It just so happens that mine also make a lot of money. So 
you know, I just did a lot of things right. I actually talk about this in depth in my second book, Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement, but I did a lot of things right, like adding value first and foremost without seeking to sell my products. And I built a lot of trust that way. Um, I found really unique value propositions. Like with Money Honey in 2017, there weren't a lot of personal finance books that were A, funny and simple and easy to read and B, written by a a young female. So I, I was able to really set myself apart And then I was building credibility and trust through different Facebook groups. So well before I even had the idea to write a book, if somebody had a personal finance question, I would jump on and I would say, hey, I'm a former financial advisor. Here's what I think. Type out a really long response. And people were like, oh my gosh, this girl explains this really well. (laughs) So after doing that enough, people would ask a finance question and people would start to tag me. And they'd be like, oh, you need to ask Rachel or oh, Rachel's a girl. So yeah, in this group of like 10,000 female millennials, which was my target audience, I became known as like the go-to finance expert. And I didn't do any of this purposefully. This was all like, I was just helping them because I loved to do it. And then I came up with the idea for writing a book and I was like, oh, what do you guys think of this? And they were like, oh my gosh, please write this (laughs) book. Like I would literally buy this right now. Right. And so it was like, almost like I had this launch team without even knowing I needed to have a launch team. Right. So I can't kind of the pieces fell into place the right way where with money, honey, even though no one knew who I was, I had this massive launch team, people willing to go for, to bat for me. So I had the momentum and because it was such a well-written book, it's sold through word of mouth. It's sold because of my podcast appearances. Um, right. It sells like more and more each year. So wow. I don't know something. That's incredible. Well. Do, have, you, <laughs> have you considered recently running ads for it? Are you still just like, no, no. No, I don't see the point. Like, I'm not going to mess with something that's working, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, that makes total sense. That's yeah. awesome. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> so now we're going to move on to the next section of our show, which is the big four. And this is where we ask all of our guests the same four questions. So Rachel, number one, what is your number one habit for success? My number one habit for success, there's like so many things I could say. <laughs> But I would have to say is to have boundaries. Um, this, cause this is something that really got me into a lot of trouble when my business started taking off and there's advice that's given to entrepreneurs that I disagree with. And the advice is to say yes to every opportunity that comes your way. Like, I agree with that to an extent, cause when you're first getting out there and hustling, like, yeah, you want to do that. You want to say yes to everything that comes your way. But if you keep doing that, you will run yourself into the ground. And there comes a point where you have to start saying no. And that's really hard to do when you're someone that's like, like me, where you genuinely want to help people and you want to serve others. Um, But every time you say yes to something, you are saying no to something else. So you have to be intentional with your time. You have to learn to respect yourself and to respect your own time and to respect your family time and your mental health and your physical health. Because those things are all more important than everyone else asking you for help. So I would say having healthy boundaries is the biggest thing that you have to do. Yeah, I love that you mentioned that. That's something that I'm actually like in the, I mean, I'm always working on myself and everything, but that's something that like I'm getting really intentional about is like scheduling my time. Like, should I take 20, just free 20 minute networking calls with, you know, a bunch of people? Is that the best use of my time? No. (laughs) Yeah, no. Um, so I definitely wasn't spending my time, you know, to the best advantage, but I do something that 
I did do, you know, is in the beginning when I was first starting out and I had literally like nothing, like no anything really, was I was saying yes to everything to get those experiences, to get the knowledge, to make the connections. Right. But now I'm at a point where I need to change the gear. I've already started to change the gear, but yeah, can't say yes to everything forever. But right. I think in the beginning, when you do it strategically, um, it can be it can be good for the beginning. But then obviously long-term and as soon as you possibly can, you got to turn the dial off. Right, agree. So question number two, limiting beliefs. I know we touched on this before, but limiting beliefs are thoughts in our heads that hold us back from realizing our potential. What is one limiting belief that you were able to crush and how did that impact your life? All right, if can I share a story? I know that we're like yeah. running out of time. Okay. Go for it. This was when I was writing Money, Honey. And at first the words poured out of me. Like I was so excited for this. And I just, this was such a passion project. So it was very easy at first. And then four months in, I did a complete mental 180. And I was telling myself things like, who do you think you are to write a book about finance? You're a young woman who's going to listen to you. Your writing is crap. It's going to be an embarrassment if you go through with this. So clearly I was being very nice to myself. <laughs> um, so yeah, those, those were all the limiting beliefs I was telling myself. Yeah. And luckily, so I quit writing the book. Like I quit writing it. I truly had no intention of ever looking at it or picking it up again, which imagine, wow. I mean, imagine like I've literally thousands of people have read my books and have emailed me to tell me that I've changed their life. So now it's like, imagine if I had given into those limiting beliefs, that's, that's right. scary. Um, right. I sat down with a good friend who, you know, she was like, Rachel, you have to finish what you set out to do. You're onto something. Thankfully, I, you know, she gave me the encouragement I needed. And I, at the end of the day, the reason I went through with publishing it is because I told myself, if I can just help one person, that is all I want to do. And that's what it came down to. That's the only reason I went through with publishing it. And honestly, it's not even about crushing the limiting beliefs. It was just about having the right intentions. And it's, it's not about me. It's just about I just wanted to help somebody. Right. And if I could just help one person, like that would make it worth it to me. I think if I had been out to make some quick money grab or like try to build this big income stream, people would have seen right through that. Right. But because I did have the right intention, I was able to crush those limiting beliefs and go through with it. Right. And then once I did start getting the feedback that I was impacting people, that's when I could kind of get the confidence behind my book and look back and realize, wow. I was really in my own head back there. I mean, right. that was like, I cannot listen to myself when I'm like that because <laughs> right. I need to go seek outside counsel and people that I can trust to tell me, no, you like, you have to do this. You know, you're onto something. So just wanted to share that story because every artist and writer and creative and entrepreneur I know goes through that exact same battle and exact same struggle before they launch anything. So, right. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. And the fact that one thing you mentioned that really touched is the fact that, you know, you had to, someone else kind of gave you a little push and kind of said, you need to write this book. It's something that I found as part, being part of mastermind groups, literally just networking with people is it's you, by surrounding yourself with the right people, first and foremost, your thoughts in your head just start to change. Like yeah. you start to talk about things that they're talking about. And when you have powerful people and like people that are think, thinking positive, it gets crazy. Like the reason why I started this podcast or one of the many reasons I didn't, I always, I knew I wanted to do it at some time. And I was like, yeah, three to three years down the road when I'm, when I'm ready. 
And some guy was like, dude, start it now. And I was like, what? Right now? Like, what are you saying? So just like being able to be surrounded by those types of people, you know, it, it's, a, it's a big, but also small, I think it's a medium step to start a podcast, right? But the mm. things that happen after are huge. And it's literally just from having one conversation. And I met that guy through somebody that I met through reaching out to people on bigger pockets. It's like this whole uh, full circle thing. It's like crazy. But um, just the fact of like getting around the right people and I know uh, you do the mastermind group, you know, just being part of a group like that is like a huge step in the right direction because you start to just think and, and, and yeah, think and act like people who uh, are in the position you want to be in. Yeah. Cause you, you can't, sometimes you just can't crush your own limiting beliefs. Right. And that's just, that's just it. So it's like surround yourself with the people that will help you do that. Right. For sure. Totally. So Rachel, where do you see yourself or your business in five to 10 years? I see myself just with a bigger business. I just want to keep growing what I already have, impacting more people, growing my platform, hopefully by then having a bigger team of people. That's the hardest thing. My hardest challenge that I've faced yet is hiring people. So that's what I'm working on right now. And I just want to hire the right people and um, impact more lives. And I don't think my lifestyle is going to change much. You know, I've, yeah. I've, this is my dream life. I just want to impact more people. So, right. Do you have employees now? Just independent contractors. Yeah. I don't okay. know if I'll ever have employees. Maybe hard to say. Right. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So last thing, Rachel, I know you've left a lot of great messages with the listeners, but any last remaining thoughts, messages you want to leave for the listeners? Uh, yeah, I, I would say a few things. Um, there's this quote by Zig Ziglar that I love that I, I always like to share. And it kind of just goes back to getting started and taking action. And he said, you don't have to be great to start, but you have to start to be great. Um. I love that one. I know. <laughs> I know. It's so good. And on that note, I also just want to say that I truly believe that anyone at any age on any income can achieve financial independence. Love it. Love it. Totally agree too. Totally agree. So where can the listeners get a hold of you? I know we mentioned um, you have your book, you have courses, you have a mastermind, and we'll link to everything down below. But just for the, the listeners that are on their phone, ready to ready to look you up, where, where, where can they find you? Thank you. Yeah. So I'm on Instagram and TikTok at Money Honey Rachel. And what I'd love to do for your listeners, Bailey, is if anyone wants to download my passive income starter kit, I will give that for free. So you can go to moneyhoneyrachel.com forward slash bonus to download that. Cool. Okay, awesome. And we'll leave a link to that in the description below as well. Um, Rachel, pleasure meeting you first and foremost. I've seen you all over the internet and social media, <laughs> but pleasure to finally meet you and connect with you. And awesome hearing your story. It's it, honestly incredible. The different, um, I guess the different streams that you've been able to build like rock solid from real estate to the books, courses, masterminds. Um, and it's super cool to see like the purpose behind it all and like why you've actually chosen those streams because you'd be successful doing whatever you put your mind to. But the fact that you put so that you pick something that not only helps other people, but ultimately gives you the lifestyle you want. I mean, that's kind of the goal. That's the dream. So um, awesome. Again, thank you so much, Rachel, for coming on. Thank you. I really appreciate it, Bailey. 
Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Investing Made Simple podcast. For more resources or to connect with us further, please visit our website, www.baileykramer.com. We'll see you next time.